Welcome to week two of the new year. And so we're starting the year looking at these stories, these first several in the life of King Hezekiah, about people who have tried to devote themselves to God. Because you heard me say last week, I hope, whatever other resolutions, whatever other intentions you have for the new year, I hope that one of the things that you want is to be more like Christ, to, to devote yourself more to Jesus, to, to submit more of your life, more of yourself to the Lord in 2023 than you did in 2022. And so we're looking at stories of people who, who did that. So turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 32. A couple weeks ago, we started the story of Hezekiah. We looked at chapter 30 when he's a, a young man, when he's first in a, first first year of his kingship, where he commits himself to following God. And part of that is he commits himself to doing what, what the Bible, for him the, the law, says, which is to celebrate the Passover each year. And so he, he does that. And we looked at all the problems that he had, all the issues, everything that happened. Um, we're going to jump forward now 14 years so that Hezekiah, uh, chapter 30 of 2 Chronicles takes place in the first year of his reign. Now we're jumping. Chapter 31 covers the next 14, all the things he's doing to bring the worship of God back into the nation of, of Judah, which is the southern part of Israel. In the year 14 of his reign, we're going to read what happens. So read along with me. I'm actually going to back up just a couple verses. I'm going to start in verse 20 of chapter 31. We're going to read the first half of chapter 32 of 2 Chronicles down to verse 23. So starting in, verse 30, in chapter 31 in verse 20. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and they intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city, and they helped him. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the streams that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside the one and reinforced the terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. He appointed military commanders over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army that is with him, for there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Later, when Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and all his forces were laying siege to Lachish, he sent his officers to Jerusalem with his message for Hezekiah, king of Judah, and for all the people of Judah who were there. This is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing your confidence that you remain in Jerusalem under siege? When Hezekiah says, the Lord our God will save us from the hand of the king of Assyria, he is misleading you to let you die of hunger and thirst. Did not Hezekiah himself remove this God's high places and altars, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar and burn sacrifices on it? Do you not know what I and my predecessors have done to all the peoples of the other lands? Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of these nations that my predecessors destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now do not let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, 
For no God of any nation or kingdom has ever been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my predecessors. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Sennacherib's officer spoke further against the Lord God and against Hezekiah. The king wrote letters ridiculing the Lord, the God of Israel, and saying this against him. Just as the God of the peoples of the other lands did not rescue their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue his people from my hand. Then they called out in Hebrew to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to terrify them, to make them afraid in order to capture the city. They spoke about the God of Jerusalem as they did about the gods of the other peoples of the world, the work of human hands. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and the officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. And when he went into the temple of his God, some of his sons, his own flesh and blood, cut him down with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others. He took care of them on every side. Many brought offerings to Jerusalem for the Lord and valuable gifts for Hezekiah, king of Judah. From then on, he was highly regarded by all the nations. I don't know about you, but I find verse 1 discouraging. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded. You know, we don't want life to look like that, do we? We want life to be, after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, everything went well. This is what Hezekiah did, and everything he undertook in the service of the temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought God, and so he prospered and lived happily ever after the end. That's the story we want, but it's not the story of the world we live in. It's not true. It's not what happens. One of the things I'm hoping you will come away from these series of sermons is remembering that opposition is normal, that if you set yourself to follow God, you should expect trouble. Remember, we're in year 14 of his reign. For the last 14 years, he has been faithfully following God and not having serious trouble. We looked last week at some of the issues. He did have opposition. He did have trouble. He did have these things, these various things that go wrong. Remember, one of the things I told you last week was, you have an enemy. Last week, we didn't see Hezekiah's enemy doing things overtly. This week, we do. Hezekiah has an enemy. The, the Assyrians, if, if you know anything about history, at this point in time, we're around 700 BC, the Assyrian Empire rules all of the Middle East. If you think about a map of the Middle East, uh, Iran, Iraq, Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, all, all of it, they rule it all. Some of it they've conquered, and so they rule it. They have governors there. Some of it, they have vassal kingdoms. There are kings and there are countries that are aligned with Assyria. Hezekiah's dad aligned himself with Assyria. He became a vassal. So he sent money and troops to the king of Assyria for his campaigns. He brought in altars from Assyria to worship their gods. Remember last week we talked about how that city of Jerusalem was just full of altars. They had, they had to cleanse it. It took them a while to get rid of all of them. Lots of those are altars to Assyrian gods. He thought, Hezekiah's dad thought, these guys are powerful, their gods must be powerful, I want to worship their gods. And so Hezekiah's dad was a vassal to the king of Assyria. And when Hezekiah becomes king, he stops that. He says, well, I'm not going to obey you. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to worship your gods. 
Hezekiah no longer is in submission to the king of Assyria. He stops sending tribute. He destroys the altars and the temples to the gods of the Assyrians. And eventually, the king of Assyria takes note and comes after him. And you should expect the same thing. If you decide to devote yourself more to the Lord this year, if you decide there's areas of your life you're going to turn over to the Lord, you have an enemy, and you should expect sooner or later, he's going to take notice, and he's going to come after you. Because whatever it is, he wants it back. So let's look. How does the king of Assyria come after Hezekiah? What does he do? Because the things the king of Assyria does, it's the same thing anyone in power does. Anyone who's trying to take you over, any enemy you have. So notice, we're told in verse 1 that he's invading, that he wants to conquer these cities. Now jump over to verse 9. When the king of Assyria and all his forces were laying siege to Lachish, that's a different, it's another city in Israel. He's fighting somewhere else. He sends people to Hezekiah in Jerusalem. So there's no army in Jerusalem at this point in time. There's no one there besieging them. They're not fighting, but it's a threat. They could come. The army's somewhere else, but they could be here. And I want you to listen to all the things that this guy says to Hezekiah. And I want you to note that they're all lies. Everything this guy says to Hezekiah in some way, shape, or form is a lie. Remember what Jesus said about the devil, our our enemy. He said he's the father of lies. When he speaks, he's lying. So anybody remember that old Megan Trainer song? You know, your lips are moving, so I know you're lying. She didn't know it, but she was writing about the evil one. If he's talking, he's lying. That's exactly what Hezekiah's enemy does. Listen to the lies that he tells Hezekiah and Hezekiah's people. First one's in verse 11. When Hezekiah says, the Lord our God will save us from the hand of the king of Assyria, he is misleading you to let you die of hunger and thirst. So the king of Assyria says to the people of Israel and Judah, right, Hezekiah wants you all dead. The only reason he's doing this is because he wants to kill all of you. He wants you all to die of hunger and thirst. He's intentionally lying to you so you'll die. Hezekiah's been the king for 14 years. 14 years, we're told, of prosperity. I want you to imagine you're, you're, you're there here now. Is there anything you can think of in the last 14 years that would make you think, oh yeah, the king wants us all dead? Absolutely. He wants to destroy his own capital city, probably be killed himself. That's his end game, is that everyone die. As lies go, this is a stupid one. They've no, this guy's been king for 14 years. He's done nothing good. Think about what we read two weeks ago, right? For the Passover, he personally purchases 8,000 lambs and goats for people who didn't have any so they could celebrate the Passover too. When people do it wrong and are in danger of judgment, he goes to God and intercedes for them, asking God to be merciful to them and not to punish them. Is there anything that we have read or that you can imagine if you lived here that would make you think, oh yeah, the king, he's doing this because he wants to kill all of us. The man is king, he has an army. If he wants you dead, you're gonna be dead. He doesn't need the Assyrians to come and do it over a protracted siege. He could just have everyone killed. I mean, this is a stupid lie. 
but we believe stupid lies. Our enemy, just like Hezekiah's enemy, tells us stupid lies, and we buy it. You decide, I want to read the Bible, right? I'm sick of Jeff telling me this. I'm sick of not raising my hand when they ask about it. I'm going to set my alarm 30 minutes early every day, and I'm going to read the Bible. And the next morning, the alarm goes off, and you slap the snooze button, and you sleep through it. And what does that little voice in your head tell you? See, you can never get up, ever. You can never wake up to an alarm. You are incapable of getting up early. You could never get up and read the Bible. Now, think about that for a moment. You never get up, really, ever. You've never gotten out of bed in your whole life. You've never gotten up to an alarm, ever, in your life. That's a really stupid lie, but we believe them. We're like, oh yeah, oh, I can never do this. I'm, I'm just, I'm not capable of getting up in the morning. I mean, I got up yesterday and went to work, of course, but I'm not capable of getting up in the morning. I've been waking up to an alarm five, six days a week all my life, but I'm not capable of waking up to an alarm. We believe the stupidest lies. Why is the king saying this to him? Like, why doesn't the king just bring his army and lay siege and conquer it? Because he wants Hezekiah to quit. He wants Hezekiah to surrender. He doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to lose troops and lose resources and spend time, which for him in the middle of nowhere in Judah, he wants Hezekiah to just give up. He can take back everything. That's what your enemy wants. Your enemy wants you to give up. Whatever you have decided to submit to God, wherever you have decided you want to be more like Jesus, your enemy wants you to just give up. And so he lies to you. You can never get up. You can never read the Bible. Really, you're incapable of reading. We believe the dumbest lies. Brothers and sisters, don't. Don't believe stupid lies. Don't believe the stupid lies like Hezekiah. Oh yeah, Hezekiah just wants you all dead. And don't believe the stupid lies that he's gonna tell you when you try and do something good. Oh, you're not capable of doing that. It's not possible. You've never read a line anywhere in your life. You've never woken up in the morning. You've never, you've never. It's lies, don't believe it. Don't believe any of it. Now look at his second lie. This one's a lot more clever. Verse 12, did not Hezekiah himself Remove this God's high places and altars, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar and burn sacrifices on it. Now, this lies harder to spot because every single word in here is true, except for one. There is one word in this sentence that is not true, and it changes the meaning of the whole sentence. Did you catch it? Did not Hezekiah himself remove, here's the word, this, God's high places. Because Hezekiah has been removing high places and altars. We read about it last week. He has been telling the people, no, we worship here in the temple. Why is Hezekiah doing this? Because the law says so. Because God says, you don't worship me however you want. You don't just show up and do whatever you want and offer whatever you want. If you're worshiping me, you do it my way. That is, by the way, how everyone in authority talks to people who are under them. No boss says to his employees, I know you're supposed to be writing this computer program, but you want to do poetry? Oh, please, just write poetry. I'll keep paying you. I just want you to be fulfilled as an employee. 
No teacher says, of course it's math class, but go ahead, read that science fiction book. I want you to feel good about school. No God says, sure, come to me any way you want. I don't care what you bring. I don't care when you do it. I don't care how. Hezekiah is obeying the law. He is not destroying this God's altars. He's destroying every other God's altars. Do you see what the king has done by changing one word? He's made it sound like Hezekiah is opposed to this God. Hezekiah says, our God will save us. And the king says, why would he do that? Hezekiah spent the last 10 years destroying his worship. He doesn't have any altars left because Hezekiah destroyed them all. He's some sort of megalomaniac who says, if you want to worship, you got to worship in my city, in my temple. He changes one single word and he turns the entire meaning around. Let's say it. Let's say the truth. Did not Hezekiah remove every other God's high places and altars? Did not Hezekiah say to Judah and Jerusalem, we must worship as the law commands at the Lord's altar, burning sacrifices to him there. Now, if you tell the truth and Hezekiah says, our God will save us, of course he will. You're devoted to him. You've gotten rid of every other God. You are obeying him. The king of Assyria changes one word, so it's a lie. But it sounds so good because it is true. He has been removing altars. He has been removing high places. Everything that else is true, but the sentence is a lie. Oh, that one's harder to spot. And your enemy is going to lie to you like that too. He's going to weave in truth. Go read how the, 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 the devil tries to tempt Jesus. The ways he said, he quotes the Bible, the devil quotes the Bible to Jesus. That ought to give you pause. He's going to lie to you. And some of them are going to be bold, outright, and you should just reject them immediately because they're stupid. And wow, some of them are going to be hard to spot and you need to pay attention. Wait a minute. Did not Hezekiah remove this God's high places? No. No, he didn't. He removed every other God's high places. It's not. The same thing. And then look at his third lie in verses 13 through 15. In this case, it's even harder, I think, because every fact he states here is true. Absolutely true. Listen to what he says. Do you not know what I and my predecessors have done to all the people of the other lands? Yeah, we do. You've conquered them. The Assyrian Empire has been around 200, 250 years at this point. They are undefeated. They've lost the occasional battle. They've never lost the war. There is no country, no territory that the Assyrians have invaded that they have not taken over. They rule everywhere they have ever set their feet. Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? No. No, they weren't. Who of all the gods of these nations that my predecessors destroyed has been able to save his people from me? None. Zero. That is absolutely true. Look, look on down a little further as he just you know, stops asking questions and just states it outright. No God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my predecessors. That statement is 100% true. For 250 years, the Assyrians have been rolling over anyone who tried to stop them. Everything he says is true. And then he draws a completely false conclusion. He uses that as evidence of something that is entirely untrue. How then can your God deliver you from my hand? 
How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Everything he said is true, but he hasn't said the whole truth. Look at verse 19. They, that, that's the king of Assyria and his, his, his henchmen, they spoke about the God of Israel as they did about the gods of other people of the world, the work of human hands. The king of, the king of Assyria says, no God has ever stopped me. Therefore, your God will not stop me. And he leaves out a really important fact. All those other gods that I ran over are statues. They're made of rock and wood and stone. But he doesn't say, no statue has ever stopped me. Of course not. I mean, who, who, who would read a story? Some World War II story of the Germans coming into a French village, right? And the valiant French resistance fighter, they put a wooden statue on the road. But it didn't stop the Germans. Of course not. It's a statue. It's a piece of wood. No God has ever stopped me. That's true as far as it goes, but you are forgetting one very important fact, that God is a piece of wood. That God is a statue of metal. It has no power. How will your God, again, now let's, let's say the whole truth, your God, the true and living God, the creator of the universe, the all-powerful sovereign of everything, if wood can't stop me, how will the all-powerful creator of the universe stop me? I don't know. I don't have trouble with that one. Like, like, yeah, wood didn't stop you, God, divine power. Yeah, it does. He tells the truth, and then he makes a ridiculous conclusion. I have preached behind this table for over 10 years, and I have never died. I am immortal as long as I stand behind this piece of furniture. Now, both those statements are true. I have preached behind this table for over 10 years. I am not dead. They are absolutely true statements. And the conclusion I drew is completely ridiculous. It has nothing to do with the facts. Yes, they're facts, but they have nothing to do with that conclusion. And that's what the king of Assyria does to Hezekiah and his people. He states a bunch of truths, and then he tosses that out as if, see? There, look, look, look at all this truth. I'm right, you should just quit. Remember, there's no army there. There's just a couple guys yelling up at the wall. So you should quit. Threats and lies. That's all the king of Assyria's got at this point. It's just like what Jesus said. When the evil one speaks, he lies. You should expect the same thing that Hezekiah got. You should expect outright stupid lies. You should expect kind of clever lies. And you should expect conclusions that make no sense even though they're stated as if they were true. Well, you have preached behind the table and you aren't dead, so obviously the table's made you immortal. You should expect to hear all of that. You should expect opposition. If you're gonna do what's right, if you're gonna follow God, you should expect to suffer for it. Now, okay, again, year 14, right? Sometimes you should expect the begin, the, very, the, the last verse. He followed God, he worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. And sometimes you should expect verse one. After everything Hezekiah had so faithfully done, the king of Assyria invaded, came to take him out entirely. Both of those things are true. You should not be surprised. Look at, look at verses 16 through 18. This is like a synopsis of what the king of Assyria did. 
They spoke against the Lord. They spoke against Hezekiah. They ridiculed the Lord. They made these ridiculous conclusions. No God's ever stopped us. Your God can't stop us. They called out to the people to terrify them, to make them afraid. Why? End of verse 18, in order to capture the city. That's what he wants. He wants the city back. That city used to be his. Jerusalem used to be his vassal. When he said, send me money, they sent him money. When he said, send me troops, they sent him troops. When he said, worship my gods, they worshiped his gods. They used to be his. And now Hezekiah has rebelled. And he wants them back. And you should expect the same thing, brothers and sisters. Hezekiah's enemy wanted Hezekiah's city back. Your enemy wants any part of your life back that you want to submit to Christ. If you decide, you know, I am not using, I'm not using my mouth the way the Lord would want. I'm not using my voice. Scripture says to use your voice to build people up and to encourage them and to admonish them and to help them walk in the truth. And, and I know that I so often use my voice to tear people down. I so, I know, I so often use my voice in ways the Lord does not want. If you decide that you are going to submit your voice to God, that you are going to use your voice the way God wants to, then you better expect that at some point your enemy is going to notice and he is going to come because he wants your voice back. Because it used to be he could push your buttons and pull your strings and get you to do damage for him. And if you commit yourself that I'm not going to do that anymore, you should expect to be invaded. You should expect to be lied to. Up, down, left, and right. That's what Hezekiah's enemy did to him. That's what your enemy will do to you. So how does Hezekiah respond? What do we do? When all this, all this happens, we get invaded, we get the lies, we get the threats. What do we do? Look at what Hezekiah does. Right? So look at the first thing he does in verses 2 and 3. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come, that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff. Get some advice. Talk to some people. I had a conversation this was several years ago. You know, I'm doing my whole Bible reading plan, right? Somebody finally asked to meet with me about it, and they come and they sit down, and they're like, I've been trying. I've been trying so hard to read in the morning. I just can't do it. I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I, I just, I, I'm just not a morning person. I'm setting my alarm. I'm getting up. I'm reading it. And, and my comment was, well, why don't you try reading in the evening? And they were like, you, 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 you can do that? You can read at night? I'm like, yes. There is nothing in the book. I like to read in the morning. I like to start my day that way. If you're not a morning, yeah, read at night. Like, you know, the, the, the choirs are singing, the, the, the clouds have parted. Just get some advice. Find some other people. Like, he's got a military problem. Who does he talk to? Officials and military staff. What can we do? How do we face this? What are the right things to do? Just get some advice. Go talk to some people. If you're trying to follow God, if you're trying to do something right, if there's some area of your life you've submitted to him, and you're getting attacked, go ask somebody for some help. Hey, if this ever happened to you, what do you know about this? Have you got any advice? Get some good advice. Look at the next thing he does in verses four and five. They blocked all the springs of the stream so that they, the Assyrians would have no water. They repaired the broken sections of the wall. They built towers. They built a second wall outside. They reinforced the terrace. They built weapons and shields. Hezekiah takes a bunch of very practical precautions. Now notice, we haven't got to the prayer yet. He will pray, don't get me wrong, we'll get there. But there is no contradiction 
Between Hezekiah saying, the Lord our God will fight for us, the Lord our God will protect us, and Hezekiah repairing the wall, stopping up the springs, which by the way, if you go to Israel, you can see that. They found it. They found the places where Hezekiah covered the springs up that are outside the city and channeled them underground. You go down into the cisterns that he had dug and brought water into the city from outside so the army, the, the Assyrians wouldn't know where it was and couldn't drink it. Like, like we, we, we've seen those. He does all these really practical things. There's no contradiction between believing that God will protect us and taking precautions. In fact, again, that's normal. That's what's expected. I, mean, I hope you know, I don't get up here on a Sunday morning, open, read the passage, and start talking about it. Now, my gift is teaching. Like, that's where God's spirit is at work in me. If for some reason I actually had to stand up here, read the passage, and just start talking about it, I trust that the Lord would speak through me. I trust that he would do something good in that. But that's not normal. Normal is, I spend a lot of hours on this. I read this and pray over this and study this and read commentaries and notes and I'm in here in the morning before the sun comes up practicing this to tell it to you in a way that I hope makes sense. And if you had a little tape recorder or video thing in my office while I'm doing this, there are so many times that I say to myself, no, no, that's not going to work. No, don't say it like that. Oh, that's too long. Stop. Why are you taking so much time? It's just, you got to practice. you got to practice. It takes... Doing things right takes practice. That's what Hezekiah does. He's like, okay, here's what we can. We're going to be invaded. We need to strengthen our defenses. We need to get some weapons to protect ourselves. We need to deny the enemy anything we can possibly deny them. He takes good, practical precautions and steps, all the while clearly believing that God will protect him. Those things are not in opposition. They make perfect sense. Because we know, we trust, we believe that God will protect us, we go and we work hard. We go and we build the defenses. We do all those things. Never think that, that planning and preparation and trust are in opposition to each other. They're not. That is how all the godly people in the world have worked. Again, if you get thrown in a situation where you can't plan, then, yep, you're just going to have to trust. But everywhere else, just like the Lord expects me to spend my time in the week studying, practicing, getting ready, if you're going to follow him somewhere, that's going to take work. It's going to take practice. You're going to have to take precautions. You're going to have to figure out how this is. What do I need to do? If I want to get up half an hour early, what do I need to do? I probably need to go to bed half an hour sooner. That's just normal, practical. Okay, how am I going to do that? What's that going to look like? Those things are not, never think those things are in opposition. We see Hezekiah doing it. And then, in a moment, we'll see him praying, but not yet. Look at what he does next in verse 6. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them together in the square at the city gates and encouraged them with these words. You should expect opposition. You should expect to be invaded. You should expect to be lied to. Right? You need to encourage yourself. You need to do what Hezekiah is doing here. You need to speak encouragement and you need to speak truth to counter the lies. What does Hezekiah tell the people? Verse seven, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and his vast army, for there is a greater power with us than with him. That's the truth. Yes, he does have a big army. Yes, he is much more powerful than we are. Oh, but we have someone on our side that makes him look like nothing. You need to encourage yourself. You need to speak truth to yourself. Imagine just reminding yourself of that every hour in the day, 
as you are struggling to try and do what is right, imagine reminding yourself, there's a greater power with me than with my enemies. There's a greater power with me, in me, at work in me, than in everything that is trying to harm me and prevent me. My watch has a, it's electronic, it's got a chime setting. There have been times in my life, so annoying, it beeps at you every hour, drives me nuts. Times in my life I've turned that on because I needed to remind myself every hour of something. I need to remind myself, God called you to this. God will protect you in this. God did this. God said this. Maybe turn on your watch so it chimes every hour and, and reminds you to say to yourself the sorts of things that Hezekiah is saying, don't be afraid. There is a power at work in you that is so much stronger than anything else in the universe. I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. There's so many things in the scripture you could say. God withholds no good gift from those who love him. There are so many affirmations in scripture that you could just say to yourself regularly to remind yourself of what is truth, because I can assure you, you are being lied to by the enemy. Anything he says to you is a lie. And then finally, verse 20, King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. He prays, of course he prays. We actually, it's not in this story. We know, we know from another story. He takes that letter that, that it talks about and he goes to the temple and he puts the letter in front of God's altar and he gets down on his knees and he says, Lord, everything in this letter is true. Nobody's ever stopped them, but they've never met you before. Would you please save us? That's it. It's like a four sentence prayer. And then God says, yes. And he wipes out the Assyrian army. Again, it's not in this story. It's in another one. The army's about 200,000 men. 180 of them don't wake up the next morning. 90% of the army is dead. We interestingly, we found the Assyrian accounts of this battle. Because they, it, it was massive. They record, it was, they, they record a terrible plague. Terrible, terrible plague swept through the army during this and they, they, they had to go back and, and get reinforcements. This is the only time the Assyrian empire will ever be defeated until the Babylonians take them out in 611. For over 300 years, there's only one place on the planet that they set their foot and then retreat and never come back and take it. Judah, the kingdom of the living God. You will absolutely face opposition. You will absolutely be lied to. If you try and do what is right, you should expect trouble because you have an enemy and anything that you try and give to God is something he thought was his and he wants it back. Don't be surprised. Be like Hezekiah. Get some advice. Take some precautions. Remind yourself. Encourage yourself. Tell yourself truth. Pray and expect God to show up. Now, full disclosure, it was two years from the time the king of Assyria noticed and made plans to invade until the time God wiped out his army and he fled as two, probably over two years. We know that they don't come out and start planting again. They're not free to move about in their own country for three years. So it is at least two years. I'm not saying, like, imagine, you know, Hezekiah was invaded and he prayed and they left. Then we don't have this story. Scripture says these stories, they're, they're here for us. They're here to teach us and train us. I am sorry Hezekiah and his people had to go through this, but I am grateful the story is here to train us, to encourage us, that we can learn from it. I'm not saying God's going to show up the next day, but I am saying he will show up. Hezekiah is right. 
The Lord is with us. The Lord will protect us. If you set out to do what is right, to do what is good, if you commit yourself to God, he wants that too. He will support you. He will sustain you. You're still going to get attacked. You're still going to have problems. You're still going to have opposition. You're still going to get lied to. But there is many things you can do. Advice, practical, encouragement, prayer, and the Lord will absolutely fight your battles. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the reality. I mean, this, this, we could pick a myriad of stories from Scripture that look like this, that, that people do what is right, and they do what is good, and they are attacked for it, and they, they suffer for it. Things do not go well for them. Thank you. That, that you have included these stories in scripture, that we can learn and profit from them, that we can be prepared, that we cannot be dismayed when these things happen. We can say to ourselves, yep, scripture said this would be true, and here it is. That we can take all the same good, godly, and wise steps that the people before us took. Thank you. Thank you for these stories, that, that you have recorded them and preserved them for us. We are grateful. Lord, help us to learn these lessons. Work this into our hearts, that persecution is normal, that, that opposition is normal, that suffering is normal. We have an enemy who does not want us to be like you. And one day you will remove him and he will be gone and this will never be a problem. But you are patient and you are kind and you are waiting. And so that day is not now. Jesus be gracious to us. Remind us of these things as we strive to do what is good and right, as we strive to submit to you even more and be more like you in 2023 than we were in 2022. Uh, Jesus, help us, encourage us, remind us. We truly want to be more like you. We truly want to be more submitted to you this year, more your people, more of our lives in line with what you say and how you call us to live. Help us, Lord. Remember, as scripture says, that we are dust. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you do fight our battles, that, that Hezekiah is right, that you are with us. And so, as scripture says in so many other places, who can be against us if you are for us? Thank you. Help us, Jesus. Remind us. Work these truths into us, that we live well. However much time you give us in this, on this planet, that we live it well. We ask this in your name, Lord. We ask everything in your name. We love you and we're yours. Amen.